You're listening to The Broken Meeple Show, a podcast that speaks passionately about board games for the benefit of those who play them. My name's Luke Hector, best known for The Broken Meeple YouTube channel, and I'm an everyday gamer just like you. And I'll be talking about reviews, top tens, and just about anything that connects me to board games. As long as I have a tea or coffee in hand, that is. So grab a cup, relax, and enjoy. And remember, it's only a game. Hi everybody, welcome to another Broken Meeple show. No cup of tea this morning because it's 9.20 in the morning and I've already had my coffee for breakfast, so I don't actually need any more. I do at least have my squash though because I'm going to need that. But yeah, this is the 14th of May 2023, middle of May. It's starting to get hotter in the UK. I don't like it. <laughs> I'm not a fan of hot, humid English weather, so I'm doing everything I can to cool my house down, including even opening the loft hatch that some people recommended to me, which seems to... It seems to make a bit of a difference, actually. I'm quite impressed on how that, you know, how that actually does translate to a little bit of coolness. But we'll find out when we get to the inevitable summer heat waves, and then we'll have that kind of problem there. So, you know, generally things are right. I had the there has been a little bit of a you know downturn in content lately, mainly because last week I had a combination of the stomach flu. I had a big stomach bug. It wiped me out for half the week and maybe a bit queasy for a little bit la- a bit afterwards. But then I was able to take a small break. Uh, I went on, you know, a little trip to, little trip to Ireland just to basically, you know, see some sights, check out the Game of Thrones studio tour and stuff like that. So it was, it was a good little break that I was able to have after I recovered from the stomach flu. So it was, you know, this was pretty solid after the bug. But it did mean that content basically had to be stripped clean that entire week. There was just nothing I could do to, you know, really do much about that. And, you know, sorry about that. That's just the way it is. You know, I can't help it if my health decides to say otherwise, shall we say. But, you know, generally uh, the content will be, you know, coming back, you know. So, you know, Revive is getting a full review as uh, you and the Patreons requested. So that has been recorded. I'm going to edit it after I'm done with this podcast, or at least edit the majority of it. It does take a while to edit full detail reviews. Remember, it's not just switch the camera on and talk for me. There's a lot more that goes into them. But, you know, that will be released this week. So hopefully you'll be, you know, happy to see that one. Uh, There's also going to be a small review at some stage for a game called The Number, which is a little weird game that... uh, uh, Asmodee sent me recently. That won't take me very long to get played and reviewed. It's just a filler game. And there should also be a small review done for Mindbug. It's a little two-player game uh, that uh, not a lot of people know about. And even I'm not exactly that familiar with it. They had a Kickstarter recently for an expansion pack and they've offered to send me a base game copy to review it because I have no idea what it was really about. So, you know, it should be pretty good in that regard. Now, in terms of the rest of the content, let me just get the screen up on here. It does seem to be, it seems to be like trying to do everything in its power to be a pain today. Come on, come on, come on, work. There we go, that's better. So, you know, in terms of the channel itself, take that overlay down. Uh, we're getting close. We're getting close to the 20,000 subscriber mark. 19,969 subscribers as I talk right now. But that growth has been very slow this last month, and I'm a little bit concerned. And my thoughts on the industry in terms of content creation have somewhat... They, they lead me to be a little bit concerned. Not necessarily for the future of this channel, but I just mean generally what content creation kind of is now. You know, the last few videos I've done have struggled to get any views, and I get that they are more niche 
uh, games. I mean, I'm talking about the third expansion to Pursuit of Happiness here. Most people don't have Pursuit of Happiness or really care about the Nostalgia expansion. So I don't expect many people to watch these. But then, to be honest, you know, the dice if the Dice Tower can put out, you know, Taco Banana or whatever on Earth the recent review was and get thousands of views for that, then there's got to be something in it. But... You know, that being said, not a lot of growth. I really want to get to this 20,000 thing. I've got a nice surprise when we get to 20,000. You know, something will come into effect when 20,000 subscribers hits. And it's only 31. Can we not just get 31 people to like the show and appreciate an honest review now and again? It's, you know, it does. The thing I'm noticing with the industry is that the reviews and consumer advice related content is on the downturn like there's not a lot of it being done by people particularly small creators it's not particularly popular nobody's really watching it there's a lot of uh, animosity to creators about whether their opinions are valid or you know biased or bought you know that kind of thing and i think it's just having a negative effect on you know, even this channel in terms of the reviews, which makes me wonder why I do reviews for a lot of the smaller games when I really should probably focus on big stuff like, for example, Revive. But, you know, the content that's doing well these days, again, other than Kickstarter, which always seems to do well regardless, seems to be a lot of what I did content. You know, random stuff. You know, it could be anything from best of the month or what I played, what I bought, keep or cull, you know, that kind of thing. And... I don't tend to absorb a lot of that content myself. It's not its not something I tend to watch. I prefer to watch the reviews. I want to get people's opinions on games. And I also like watching top 10s. You know, so top 10 lists are always good fun to watch. You know, you know top 10s are kind of the, like, oh, I want to know a lot about this particular topic or category. Here's 10 games or 20 games, 30 games that I can refer to. And the reviews, obviously, I want to know whether a game is good or bad. I want to see someone's opinion and at least two or three other opinions on it. And, you know, enable me to make my own decision about whether it's a game I'm going to look further into. I'm not that fussed about whether you played five games in April and they just happened and here's the best one I played. It's not something that floats my boat, but it's what's getting views. You know, for a lot of channels out there, a lot of small creators are going down this route. They're opting out of review content in favor of this kind of more random content. And I can see why, because with the whole fear of missing out and FOMO, yeah, that sort of stuff, and people really wanting to know about a game as soon as it's out or before it's out, there's a rush to get a review or an opinion out too soon before you've had a chance to dig into the game and give an honest thought. I mean, I'm doing Revive this week. Some people have already reviewed Vivive. Well, I'm taking my time and giving it the beans. I'm not going to do a half-assed job of it, play it once and say, that's my review. I'm going to give it the beans and find out what it's like. It's that kind of situation with all the games I put to review. And obviously that means I tend to be later than other people, but people still want to hear the thoughts, which I appreciate. But it does mean that a lot of small creators who can't keep up with that demand are deciding, you know what, maybe reviews aren't for me, and will do other things. So they do this random content. And I mean, it's obviously popular. It's getting the views. But maybe I need to start looking at that more. You know, I tried to do acquisitions in Color of the Month. But I just never found that my board gaming collection uh, flutters that quick. Because I get a bunch of review copies in. But that's not really acquisitions. That's review copies. And culling. I mean, culling would only work if I did it for my personal collection. 
you know, board game ramblings does keep all Carl. I have no idea how that series is still going. <laughs> I mean, seriously, how many games have we talked about now? How many thousand? It, it seems like we've talked about so many games now. I feel like the collection should have been done by now. <laughs> but I, I know, I digress. But the, you know, maybe his collection is multiple thousands of games and I just didn't know it. But the, but with mine, it wouldn't work. You know, I can't say I'm going to go through my old collection and decide what is going to get sold because it's not like that you know my collection isn't at that stage although what i am considering doing is maybe a a kind of shelf by shelf thing because remember i did a treat your shelf or shelf by shelf review ages ago during lockdown it was like a one a day series i did where i went through my whole collection and looked at the shelf very popular i obviously can't do that again because that's insane but I'm thinking maybe not quite not quite a keep and cull thing, but maybe to go through my shelf one at a, one at a time, one square at a time, just randomly, just take a square and just look at it, talk about the games in question that are on that shelf, and maybe decide for each one whether it's definitely a keeper, like it's going to stay in the collection for ages, or if it's in danger. Not necessarily a cull game. I don't want to sort of copy keep and cull, but. I mean, I've got to use those words because that's what, you know, Google SEO Studio basically says is like the hotness right now using those words. But rather than saying I'm going to cull the game, it's more which ones are in danger of being culled because my collection is kind of at a one-in-one-out situation at the moment. If I can't squeeze the game into a little crevice somewhere, preferably where the publisher is located, like Fantasy Flight over there, AEG, Portal, that kind of thing, then... Uh, something has to give and i've sold a bunch of games recently for that reason and so maybe it's more rather than saying i'm going to cull this game it'd be more a case of saying this is in danger of being culled should another game come along from the same publisher or same style of game that could replace it that is maybe something i could do to get in on some of this like more you know more ad hoc content you know it would make more sense for me to do that i don't the whole best of the month thing, I just, I don't get why that's such a big deal to know, like, best of the month of what you've played. But if that's something you'd like me to do, then, I don't know, put it in the comments and see. Maybe I could try and do a monthly thing saying this is what I've played during this month. Uh, you know, not every single play, but maybe do the highlights. Like, during this month, my highlights have been this, 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 and this. You know, if that's content you want to see and you'll watch it, then by all means I'll do it. But I'm only going to do it if the views are there. So, you know, I got to... Be careful because I've got, you know, my job is quite demanding, my social life is quite demanding, you know, and, you know, I'm editing videos that take hours to edit and record, you know, again, I'm not just switching on the camera and talking for 30 minutes and then editing it in 10 minutes, no, there's a lot more effort that goes into these, I can't afford to try too much content that doesn't work. Even the whole playthroughs thing, I've been trying to get the whole playthroughs thing to work, but I just can't get the setup to gel right it's a lot of faff i don't have the space it looks amateurish when i've tried it and i've got to relearn an entire you know system again although Streamyard apparently has now introduced a way to do multiple camera setups so i might look into that but it's time and it's the it's the hard it's a hard thing to do if it was two of us here doing it it'd be so much easier but when you try and do a channel by yourself and you have to find time to put in the solo effort believe me it's not easy it's not easy but you know Let's please try and get this to 20,000. It would be a nice milestone. There's gr so much growth in other channels and not this one. And, you know, hopefully there's no bad mouthing going on in the background. But, you know, I'm doing the best I can. I'm trying to put out consumer advice content and give honest thoughts. And I know honest thoughts 
usually results in being alienated by a lot of people that's just the way it is in the industry you know talk bad about anything you get blacklisted and same goes for all the facebook groups have you noticed that the facebook groups the uk and the us ones you know the the big the big popular groups have you noticed they're just getting a little bit linear and boring these days i just i browse through them briefly and i never see any topics i want to talk about you know most of the time it's just somebody goes i played this yay and that's it. There's no discussion. There's no anything. It's just people putting a few hearts in it and saying, great. That's not a discussion. That's not interesting. You know, and if you do get a discussion topic, it's either controversial, which means it's always going to get a buckle load of comments anyway, or cancelled by the admins, or as soon as you put a bad comment about any game, you get pitchforks and stabbed in the back in that. So it's it this it it it's not it dissuades people from wanting to actually discuss on those groups and twitter has basically died a painful death you know the only people that do well on twitter are the you know typically the creators that are either super popular or ones from more diverse backgrounds which you know for some reason on twitter just seems to have a massive following the same goes for instagram in that respect it's it's just it's a tricky situation with the industry at the moment but all i can do is do my best to keep soldiering on and just be glad that there are you know, just under 20,000 of you, well, I mean, bear in mind, some of that could be bots, I mean, you know, that's not 20,000 actual people, really, but, you know, I've, I just gotta be glad that there's some, you know, fantastic Patreons who help out the channel, and just a bunch of you viewers who are commenting on videos, you're engaging, you're, you know, watching the stuff I do, and I love reading what you do, I love trying to respond to all the comments when I can, and I appreciate you all, so, you know, sorry that took about 13 minutes to rant on that, but, uh, you know, don't worry, there's some cool content coming up. Right, okay, so on that note, um, uh, let's move on to quickly a game I have played a couple of times now on tour. On tour, uh, done by board game tables, who do okay ish tables and slightly questionable game bags. And I do mean questionable game bags because I have a couple of their game bags, one of which I got sent because the other one broke. So they sent me a full new one, but even that one's broke a bit. You know, their straps and their um, fastenings and their zips have a lot to be desired in terms of the quality of their bags. Well, this is a board game they did. It came out on Kickstarter. I didn't really pay it much attention because it looked like another flip and right style game. And again, I wasn't that fussed about it. Although, does it technically count as flip and right? Is that the is that the classification it is? Let's have a look. Take a little drink there. And dice rolling, line drawing, paper and pencil. I mean, they don't have roll and write as a category on here, but I guess it'd be interesting to know your thoughts. Would you consider this a flip and write? I mean, you technically flip cards, you technically roll dice, and then you write, so I guess it is a roll and write? Yeah, I don't see why it wouldn't be. But in on tour, you're basically trying to connect a giant route throughout the game. So this is the North America map. I have played the world map, and we played the other night uh, a New York expansion map. So, you know, I haven't played this America one, to be honest, but frankly, the game is exactly the same no matter what. Although, trying to find a picture of the world map is proving somewhat difficult. But the idea is, is that you basically want to connect up a giant route, and every turn, some cards are flipped that dictate the different districts or areas of the board, and two dice are rolled, which give you effectively two numbers, 2d10, so you get 13, 31, 22, it's like a bingo thing. And... What you do is that you pick an area within those bits on the cards and you write the number in there. The idea being that at the end of the game, you join up your biggest route where the numbers go in ascending sequence. And, you know, it's a basically a push-your-luck affair because you are trying to effectively, 
you know, create this big route, but obviously the numbers might not go the way you want, the cards might decide otherwise. And so, you know, you've got to be a little bit like, oh, careful, like, you know, do, do I put this number here? Could I block myself into a corner? You know, ah, this is a horrible number. If I got a dead space, I can put it in, you know, there's some cool stuff, you know, with it. And I mean, I don't know why this one's just showing me the USA map. There's got to be a world map here somewhere, surely. Uh, is this the world one? Yeah, well, World Europe one. Yeah, it's not World. But this is the one I played before. Not my actual map, but, you know, this one I've played before. And, you know, you'll notice that, you know, they've tried to make their route and it's going all the way around the world, but it doesn't look like a particularly long route. Uh, so maybe they struggled a little bit with the numbers. Well, actually, I don't know. They haven't done too bad. But you just basically total up the visited countries and there's a few little bonuses you get from circling certain countries based on card flips and die rolls and stuff like that. So, you know, a bit like um, in On the Underground and Ticket to Ride games, there are some tweaks to the various different rules that you can have. So, you know, you, you do have, you know, some tweaks to make the maps a little bit more unique. The Paris and New York one I played basically had this twist where when you write down the various... Uh, places on the New York map you've got ferries that you can connect at times to basically go like connect two points that are in all sorts of places and every time you meet the condition of the card you get to cross off a box here under soloist which is basically musical instruments and you get set collection points for them I mean it's a pretty tedious affair but it's like it's another aspect of the game and then like I say I enjoyed it I think the New York map was more interesting with the ferries and that than the Europe map in general the Europe map felt quite plain but on tour is fine. I'm. It's not blown me away. I don't think that this is a game that's like, oh yeah, fantastic. But compared to a lot of roll and rights and flip and rights, I actually don't mind this. This is one where if people say I wouldn't, fa I'd like to play this. I'm cool with that. Frankly, you know, it, it does the job. Maybe it outstays its welcome a little bit. You know, I'd have liked it more to be a filler length. Um, it can drag on a little bit with more players because you're kind of waiting for that one person to hurry up and decide where they're going to put the numbers. But you do get some fun, tense decisions, and it's, you know, you know it, and it certainly does like get some banter going. The only thing is, is that your ability to do well is mainly push your luck. I mean, you put the numbers down and you hope things will go the way you want, and they don't. So it's it's a luck mitigation game through and through. It's not meant to be strategic or particularly tactical. I wouldn't even say there's really any degree of tactics. I mean, if you've just got to be half intelligent about where to put some of these numbers. But it does the job fine. It's, it's you know, it's another roll and write. It's better than a lot of other roll and writes out there. There's no multiplayer interaction at all. Again, this is another problem with this genre, you know, because I don't care what the other players are doing. You know, we roll the dice and flip the cards, but everybody just does their own thing. So again, why do you have extra players in this game? And yeah, it's fine. And, you know, having two extra little maps with Paris and New York is cool. Although the rules garnishing like the bits like the riverboats and that are a bit fiddly. It took us a little bit like, huh, how are these supposed to work? And it's like, oh, okay, fine. And obviously when you've got the ferries on New York, trying to visualize what route you're doing is even more complicated than in Europe and America because you've got the prospect of ferries just going from all over the place on your map. But it does the job. It's not a game that I'm going to like sing the praises about. I'd probably give it a 6, 7 most. Probably a 6 out of 10. It's a game that I think is above average. It's fine. It's decent. Does the job. But it's not one that I'm going to say, oh yeah, rush out and grab. It's just one that if people suggest they want to play it, I'll be like, yeah, I'm cool with that. But I'm never going to suggest let's play on tour. It's, it's, it's kind of on that level you know i if it's going to get an endorsement or a distinction level seal for me it's got to be one that i would purposely say 
have you got this game? How about we play this? On tour is just going to be one that someone else is going to suggest, and I'll be like, cool, which is typically how I feel about most six out of ten games. But yeah, it's fine. All right. Let's move on to some news now. We got some hot news on this one. Oh, baby, have we got some hot news? So, first off, let's talk about the big one Ark Nova Marine Worlds. We now have a proper title for this Marine Worlds. Cover looks gorgeous. You know, nice little blue cover there with a the teardrop and all the stuff in it. I really like it. But there's been some videos lately from Man vs. Meeple and a couple of other creators who somehow managed to get, st well, actually, why am I saying somehow? All the big names get stuff in advance. I mean, I have raved about this game tons. I ain't seen Dickie Bird from Capstone Games. But the, you know, essentially, Marine Worlds now has some extra information about it so it's not just simply a few card pictures and that you know we now know exactly what sort of stuff is coming in the game and we have a lot of card lists as well so you know looking at here they've actually released all the card images on board game geek so you can now look at all this gorgeous photography that is taking place with all these little fishies and all this weird plankton stuff and uh, you know big octopus and various coral and stuff you know lots of cool interesting pictures of fish i have never heard of before you can see the graphic design is essentially the same as before except there's some new additions firstly this little wave symbol down here Every time you play one of those, it chucks one card out of the display. Uh, the Reef Dweller Coral symbol up here is basically that when you play these particular cards, you trigger all the abilities on your Reef Dweller cards. So you can get some really good chaining combos going. Now, this might mean that the animal is a bit more expensive to play, or you have to hunt down these kind of fishies and that specifically. And of course, to actually play these, they've got to be in aquariums or next to water, which can be harder or easier with certain maps. But... You know, that will be a cool way to change stuff. Other than that, you've got the similar graphic design as before. You know, you've got some mean effects, uh, basic effects, but also just this gorgeous photography of different creatures I've never seen before. You know, these are going to be just a nice, cool addition with the chaining bonuses. But something I've noticed with some of these abilities and what they've mentioned is that there's more abilities on some of the normal animals and coupled with this reef dweller thing that seem to be geared with being able to go through the deck and grab specific types of animals that you need or specific continents but also potentially you know refreshing the display a lot and that is one of the small flaws that some people have with Ark Nova that the, the display doesn't move fast enough or can get clogged it does happen I think this expansion is going to go a long way to fixing some of that. And I, for one, cannot wait because I think that is probably one of the small flaws that could do with being fixed. And it's just going to make things great. I mean, here you go here. Scuba Dive X. Reveal the top X cards of the deck. Choose a sponsor and add it to your hand. Discard the other cards. So it could whiff. But again, it gives you a chance to look through the deck. Uh, we've got... Ooh. Draw a final scoring card and then discard a final scoring card. Well, that could be quite cool. Uh, draw two and discard two, an even better version. But it's not just fishies. I mean, you have got normal animals as well. So you got uh, so we got the wolverine here, uh, a Vietnamese pot-bellied pig. That is the fattest pig I have ever seen. Wow, <laughs> that pig needs to run its ass around the block a few times. That is a <laughs> that's a petting zoo animal. That thing would trample anybody who came anywhere near it. Wow, world's fattest pig. But. Hey, you know, it's certainly the most interesting pig I've seen. That's for a penning zoo. Uh, but here we go. Here's an example. 
Monkey Gang. Reveal cards from the deck. Take the first card with Primate into your hand. Tuck the other cards underneath the deck. So this is an example of a creature that allows you to go through the deck and find more of the same type of creature. So it's going to make getting sets of various creature types, you know, easier to do. And of course, more sponsors. I mean, Franchise Business, Marine Biologist, a farm cat. <laughs> That's pretty awesome, a little farm cat. A uh, conference on the various, uh, you know, different things. Marine research, excavation site, expansion area. It's, I mean, treat all three space enclosures on at least one border space as five space enclosures. That's pretty sick. Wow, got to take a drink there. My throat's a little bit sore this morning. But yeah, there's a lot of cool stuff here. I mean, I cannot wait. This is just going to be so much fun. Horse Whisperer. <laughs> Horse Whisperer. Each time a petting zoo animal is played into any zoo, gain two money. Search and discard pile for a petting zoo animal and take it into hand. Oh my word, is that a good card if you're going for petting zoos. Or even if you just happen to be playing the Hollywood Hills and have a sponsor. And it's just like, well, I know my um, a friend of mine loves getting the petting zoo animals. Great. Give me some money, please. <laughs> you know, that would be pretty sweet. Although, the ability would be wasted if you weren't doing your own petting zoo, I guess. Uh, each time you build a pavilion, get an X marker, uh, multiple science symbols and reputation, Amazon house. Oh, that's a hefty condition one. I mean, that's just so much cool stuff. But here's the main thing. These action cards, I cannot wait for these. You draft two unique cards each that replace your basic action cards, the build, the association and that. And they give you different abilities on them. So here's the basic one. So, you know, these ones we've already had. I don't know why they reprint the basic ones. Maybe they just maybe they just wanted to improve the graphic design because I don't remember these being on the cards before. So I guess it's just reprinted graphic design. But here we go. So now you've got cards that are slightly different. So let's take the cards one here. So this card, is this a, actually, is this normal cards? Nope, this is a revised one. So here, you can see you don't bin cards with this one. One, one, two, two, three. You draw these cards, but you never discard. So this is an improved one. However, and flip it over, same again. You get to snap one of three times, but you also get one, two, two, three, four, which is great. You know, it's this was an improved cards one. Here's another one. You get to do a digging one ability every time you do it. That's pretty decent. Um, you know, and you can upgrade that to digging two. Uh, another one here. You get to what's the difference with this one? Um, oh yeah, you get more chances to snap with the basic version, and you get chance to snap more and even more snaps with the improved version and then this one here uh after you play your cards you can pay a couple of bucks to move another card to the one position however you probably no but it hasn't affected how many you draw that's just a cool bonus you get so you don't tend to get a negative with the card you just get some improvement and that's just with the cards i mean the cards cards you know how much can you do with that but look at these ones i mean sponsors you can trade money for x tokens Okay, uh, if you gain money, get more money. You know, um, you can discard a sponsor to get money. Uh, you can discard a sponsor to take one from the display. You know, I can't wait to use some of these sponsor cards. I love sponsors. Uh, animals. Uh, you can ignore animal conditions. Uh, you can, you get, if you have no animal cards left, you can do the Hunter 4 ability. That's pretty sweet. So you can search out more animals. Uh, the first animal you play costs two bucks less, so it makes all your animals cheaper, basically. Um, yeah, at least your first one, anyway. And you can pay to get more appeal later. Um, I don't know what this marking thing is. Uh, you gain stuff for marking cards with your cubes. Um, 
I think that will come into play more, but I don't quite know exactly what that is. But then here, I mean, um, uh, take partner zoos from the supply instead of the association board, and you can duplicate ones you already have. Oh man, is that quite powerful. I mean, if you're going for green projects that require you to get all of a sp specific continent, being able to take the, mul the same one multiple times hurts other players and really helps you. Uh, what else we got? Uh, instead of supporting a conservation project, you may hire a new worker. That's brilliant. Absolutely brilliant. If you're trying to do not so many conservation projects, but you want to do all the unis and the uh, reputation and stuff, or just donations, being able to hire more workers is insane. Uh, gain an X marker if you do the task at the higher value than the task performed. Uh, you may place this action card on one and perform another action instead uh, when it's on strength five, which is really cool because sometimes you get stuck where your association card is at five and it can't do anything. So this allows you to basically say, all right, I'll move it to one and I'll do some other action. Brilliant. Love these. These are going to open up so many other strategic possibilities for this game that I just cannot wait to dig into this. This is going to be so much fun. Bring me this expansion. The only problem is it's on pre-order on the US only. Yeah, the rest of us in Europe are going to have to wait for it at Essen and you know, retail release a few weeks later at an Essen. I'm happy to wait till retail release, but if I see it at Essen, I'm grabbing it at Essen. I just hope that they don't do the classic thing of bring 10 copies along, force people to queue for 90 minutes just to get a copy. No, bring multiple copies of this. Do a big print run. You will sell them. So don't do this FOMO crap, okay? I will not be happy if you do a FOMO thing for Essen, all right? And more stuff for Bill. But yeah, I'm not going to go through all of these. I'll be here all day. But yeah, suffice to say, check out one of those videos to find out a lot of discussion topics. But failing that, just go to BGG and look up the forum listing for cards. And you can look at all these cards. But man, I cannot wait. <laughs> this is going to elevate this game to a 12 for me. I'm so psyched. Less psyched about this. It's been announced by Frick's Games that uh, Terraforming Mars Prelude 2 is coming to Kickstarter. Now... Things about Terraforming Mars. It's been replaced by Ark Nova. I have no reason to want to play Terraforming Mars. Ark Nova exists. And, you know, but... And the expansions for Terraforming Mars have been very mostly missed. I mean, Venus is inconsequential. The maps, who cares? The map's the weak part of Terraforming Mars anyway. Colonies is fine, but it makes the power resource overpowered because it does all the ships and it's so much easier to get hold of than the other two that power ships. So it And it makes the game longer, which I'm not a fan of. And the less said about that garbage fire turmoil, the better. You know, even fans of the game are like, okay, we're jumping the shark now. That's saying something. But I stand to this day. Prelude is a 10 out of 10 expansion and a must-get for Terraforming Mars. And I wish a lot of other games would follow this similar lineup. Well, you're now getting a second one. So there you go. 30 more cards with various uh, cross-expansion you know, various cross -expansion effects, Prelude cards and all that. Now, there's two problems I see with this. Firstly, cross-expansion effects. This means that you're going to have... Uh, if you haven't got all the expansions, some of these Prelude cards are not going to work which I'm not a fan of, because that means it's forcing people to buy the rest of your content in order to get the full amount from here. That's a little bit shady. You should be able to try things and not have that situation, or if you are going to have that situation, put more than 30 cards in the box. You know, maybe make it 40 cards and have some cross-expansion ones. You know, I just feel that that's kind of diluting the crowd a bit. But here's the other problem. Why the hell is it coming to Kickstarter? Why in the everlasting flying hell of Hades is this coming to Kickstarter? 
It's a 30 card box. It doesn't even need a box. It literally could be sold in a Ziploc bag. You know, it doesn't need a cover, doesn't even need a price tag. You could bag this up and sell it for a fiver. You literally could in a Ziploc bag. A tenner, absolute max, if you're going to count inflation, shipping, and all that lot. But you're talking less than £10 probably for this if you just shove 30 cards in a Ziploc bag. So why the hell are you putting it in a box? Because that's just wasted packaging that no one's going to use. And why Kickstarter? There's no reason for this to be on Kickstarter. It, it's got to be... It's got to be money. There is no legit sound reason why this should be on Kickstarter unless it's commercial and corporate. That's literally the only reason. You want to milk money out of this. You want, you know, I mean, you're going to have high shipping costs because it's Kickstarter and like worldwide stuff. So, you know, you've got that problem. You're going to jack up the price because of FOMO, I suspect. This is not going to be a cheap Kickstarter, I bet, for what you're getting. You know, this will probably be the place, the price of a small game for a 30 card box and it's just i don't know you why kickstarter you're doing it just to generate hype that's all it is you want all the channels out there to talk about prelude 2 and go oh this is coming out yay you can now love it and well case in point i'm talking about it now and i'm sure on my next kickstarter update when it comes out i'll probably talk about it then but it feels so corporate that you're putting it on kickstarter and i don't agree with that practice but hey ho it's another it's an, a sequel to the best expansion Terraforming Mars got, so obviously all the fans of Terraforming Mars are going to clam, you know, claw each other to death like zombies to grab this. But yeah, I'm not pleased with the fact that it's coming to Kickstarter, and a lot of other people are asking this question, and I can't think of anything non-corporate that justifies why it should be. Just release it on retail, price it in a Ziploc bag, sell it cheap, you will sell it, and it will be popular. Come on, mate, do better, do better. And very briefly, I just want to mention that Fantasy Flight Games have announced Star Wars Unlimited, which is apparently not an LCG. And yeah, they've milked the Star Wars license enough lately. I mean, Christ, we already had the deck building game. Now we have the Unlimited TCG. And yes, it's a CCG. So here we go. Uh, what have we got here? So... Star Wars Unlimited is a fast-paced, dynamic game that is both easy to learn and strategically deep. Yeah, whatever. You say that about everything. You know, this is just PR speak. Uh, the robust development of the game, fans can look forward to a regular release schedule of three sets per year. Power creep much? I mean, that's uh, that's not too bad. I mean, it's less frequent than, say, like Marvel Champions and stuff half the time. But uh, fully integrated, organized play has been designed alongside the game. Uh, features iconic heroes, villain ships, blah, 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 including TV series, comics, video games, and everything in between, which is kind of cool. Launching in 2024, but it's an all-new trading card game so this is not using the lcg model which is better this is using the buy booster packs and you know trade cards there's going to be power creep there's going to be high prices there's going to be rares and stuff like that that's that's what i hear when i hear the word the letters tcg uh i don't know i mean is this going to be something that people are interested I, I have washed my hands of TCGs. I doubt I'm even going to look at this game when it comes out because I have no interest in getting suckered into another price model like that. I mean, I'm already suckered into LCGs and even then I have to start thinking about whether I should buy any more sets for these games because as much as I enjoy Arkham Horror and, you know, look, well, Lord of the Rings have already got everything, but Arkham Horror and Marvel Champions, I feel like I've got enough content. 
I haven't even played most of the stuff in this in these sets and you know there's another marvel champions one coming out called next or whatever i forget i don't even recognize half the heroes in it and i'm just like maybe i just won't buy it maybe i'll be like you know what i've got this what have i got red skull most wanted mad titan mutant genesis and sinister motives which is above there for some reason but yeah i've got all of those in the packs in between do I really need more content for a game that doesn't hit the table that much? Probably not, and I am likely to be curbing my acquisition of LCG stuff now and just being happy with the stuff I've got, because I've got more than enough to last me a lifetime. Uh, TCGs? Whatever. I'm just not interested. Ah, take a, a drink there. But yeah, that's all I'm going to say. Coming out in 2024, we'll see what they say about it. Maybe it will look good. Is it going to be similar to the Decipher Star Wars game that I do remember getting uh, losing a bit of money to? That was a very popular game, the Star Wars Decipher card game, and rightly so, because it was amazing, even though it had a bunch of dra um, crap cards in it that you always got flooded with booster packs. But yeah, it's a cool... That was a cool game. Maybe this will be a fun game, but I just think TCGs are done. Stop trying to be magic. Magic's its own unique thing. Just let it do its thing. I don't think this is going to be as big a hit as they think it's going to be. That's my opinion. Right. Now for the big rant. And I hope I've got enough voice to deal with this. Um, I'm not going to spend too long on each particular topic, hopefully. And some topics I am going to skip. But this is the Golden Geek Award. So I don't tend to pay much cop to awards uh, because it's voted on by a niche group of people at the end of the day because gamers are a niche group of people anyway uh, but I do vote in the Dice Tower Awards so I do actively nominate and vote on games there and I won't spoil what I voted on and what's been nominated and stuff but uh, I think 2022 was a bit of a weak year with some of the choices that have been made there are some good ones in there but um there's some questionable ones, so there could be a rant video when that one gets announced. But I voted on the Dice Tower Awards, so we'll see if uh, those count. I don't vote on the Golden Geek Awards, though, because most of the time, they get it wrong. <laughs> you know, they put some weird stuff at the top. They have, t they have some categories I just do not care about, and I just tend not to bother voting on it. But I do like to look at the results so that I can either agree or rant about it. And people like it when I do, so again, I don't know most of the winners i've been spoiled on a few of them and we'll get to those but you know and i suppose a couple of the ones that have been spoiled are categories i'm not going to talk about anyway but yeah for the most part i'm coming in blind so we're going to look at the winners and the uh, runners up and i'll give my opinions as to whether i agree or disagree with these golden geek awards all right let's have a look see so scroll back on the page right uh can I zoom into this a little bit more so it's less of a... Alright, that's that's a little better. Okay, cool. So, Golden Geek Awards. Uh, here's the complete list of winners. So, we have two-player game. The winner is Splendid Jewel with the runners-up being Wingspan Asia and Undaunted Stalingrad. Splendid Jewel is a game that I really do put my stock behind. I think it's a great new version of Splendor. I love Splendor. I think the two-player one's really good as well. I'd probably rather I would rather play this than two-player normal Splendor, but you know, it they're both solid games. And I'm glad to see this one because I would have flipped my lid if uh, Wingspan Asia had won because Wingspan Asia isn't that great an expansion. 
It's not even that great. A two, well, it's okay as a two-player game, but I'd just rather play the normal Wingspan, frankly. And Undaunted. I like the Undaunted games, but they, I like them. I don't love them. They work, and it's a cool, different little system, but I have played them, and I was kind of like, yeah, it's fine, but I'm not going to get it played very often. It's quite random with the deck-building side, and it just didn't quite win me over. But I give them respect. I'd rather have Undaunted in a runner-up than Wingspan Asia for sure. But, hey, you know, well done. Splendor, Jewel, best two-player game. That's actually first decent agreement. You know, go check out my review. I've done a full review of Splendor Jewel, and you can see why I think it's really, really good. So, yeah, well done. You're off to a good start. We can only go downhill from here, I'm sure. <laughs> right, okay, let's have a look. So, the next one is Artwork Presentation. Winner! Flamecraft, with the runners-up being Everdell the Complete Collection and Wonderland's War. This is probably the only category of games that I would want to put Wonderland's War anywhere near, because as much as I think the game is overrated, it does look pretty gorgeous. It is very good art, so to see it in the runners-up, great. Everdell the Complete Collection is a weird one. I mean, that that feels like a cop-out. You know, that... That uh, That's a faulty system. Everdell has been out for ages. You can't do a reprint collection box as a new game for 2022. That feels like cheating. And if I had won, I'd have been livid. Flamecraft? The game is fine. I mean, I gave it a 7 out of 10. It's good. It's not great. I do think it's been overhyped a bit. But... It is very pretty. It's a very nice looking game. It's presented well, particularly for the target market that it's for. Yeah, I'm kind of happy to see Flamecraft win this one. I don't think the game's all that, but I think it is nice and pretty, so I can't really disagree with this one either, you know, so, you know, good on you. Although, Everdell, that should not be in there. That is, I'm calling foul on that being in there. Right, okay, next up. <clears throat> do 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 cooperative game. Oh, this one I'm probably going to rant on. Let's see. Yep. Return to Dark Tower. Runner-up, Oathsworn into the Deepwood. Runner-up, ISS Vanguard. Uh, this Cooperative games have not been pretty plentiful for the last year, and there's not been a lot of good ones. The problem is, is that a lot of these ones that are cooperative are best played solo anyway. Oathsworn's decent game, and I suppose that probably is a better example of a co-op game, but again, you can play it solo, and it's probably better played solo. ISS Vanguard... You can play with other players, but frankly, it's a solo game. So to call it cooperative, I don't think, uh, works with that one either. But everybody keeps banging on about Return to the Dark Tower. What is it about this game that's so good? Because to be fair, I've not actually played it. Uh, yeah, I mean, Restoration Game. So this is based on some old game, apparently. Uh, what have we got here? Sequel to a 1981 Grail game, Return to Dark Tower. One to four players who take the role of heroes, gather resources, defeat monsters, and take quests, blah, blah, blah. Uh, the game shifts into its dramatic second act where the players have one chance to defeat the enemy. Cooperative and competitive modes of play. Again, I don't like it when it says that because it just sounds like you haven't spent enough time developing either one. And the fact that it's got a competitive mode of play, the fact you're putting it in the top 10 cooperative games list seems a little bit weird. But traditional game mechanisms a technological interface so it's uh I, 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 i'm not entirely sure what the hell this game is about it's it's flown under my radar i haven't really given it any looks i don't know what this dark quarter series is i mean apparently it's a 
Apparently it's a series of books, is it? Or is it comic, or graphic novel? I don't know, but I don't know what Dark Tower is. Okay, it's got this cool tower in the middle, but that's just a component gimmick. The board doesn't look like much. People have obviously painted these miniatures to look better, so I'm assuming it's not the same. I'm sure they all don't light up like this lot. Uh, but have we got just a general photo of the game? It... I don't know, looks like a weird talisman ripoff. Uh, I honestly just don't know what it is about this game that's making people go, this is fantastic, I love it. Especially when it's based on a 1981 game. Now, I don't know how much restoration games have changed in. To be fair, I like Downforce and that's a restoration games product, but... Hmm, I don't know, nothing about this game is selling itself to me, so I don't quite get why this one is, like, getting all the buzz and saying that this is a winner, but to be honest, the cooperative games of last year were mostly a little lackluster for the most part, or had problems, or were mainly solo games, so... Yeah, I mean, I mean, the fact is, if you're going to put things like ISS Vanguard and Oathsworn in there, what happened to Frostpunk? Or did Frostpunk just not meet the deadline or something? Because Frostpunk's as much a cooperative game as this lot is. <clears throat> Take a little drink. Oh, well. Not the best uh, category there. And I'm worried that I'm going to see Return to Dark Tower a lot more in the future. I mean, if I get a chance to play it, I'll play it. But I'm just not that sold on it. I'm not even sure if you can get a copy of it. Was it Kickstarter only? Was that the deal? Because I have not seen a retail copy of this. And that puts me off a lot. You know, putting faith in a game that you can only get by weird methods. Alright, uh, one sec, I'm just going to do a cough. <clears throat> That's better. Sorry about that. Uh, just had to clear myself there. Expansion! Oh, great. I was worried about this. Dune Imperium Rise of Ix gets the winner, then Wingspan Asia, and then Dune Imperium Immortality. Having two expansions in the same year feels a little bit like a cop-out, but, yeah, there didn't seem like there was a lot of good choices here. I mean, Wingspan Asia is not a good expansion. I'm sorry. It gives you a mediocre two-player mode. It gives you a god-awful flock mode for six, seven players, which you'd have to be mad to even attempt that. And it just gives you a bunch more birds, like Europe did. It's not a good expansion. I've done a review on this. Go check out my review to find out why Wingspan Asia is being overhyped in this regard. But Dune Imperium... I... I liked it more when I first played Dune Imperium, but the kinks in the armor have gotten to me. I first, when I first played it and reviewed it, I thought this is 8 out of 10, this is great, but I'm worried it won't stand the test of time, and it hasn't for me, it's dropped to a 6. I do think it is overrated as old get-out, though. I much prefer to play Lost Ruins of Arnak. I still hold the ground that the deck-building element of Dune is frankly broken. I hate the aesthetics. I think it looks bland and horrible, and it's all about the combat. There's no... There's, that is the way to play the game. It, there's a lot of problems I have with it, but I will play Dune Imperium again with expansions included, both of them. I want to try both if someone wants to show me those. You know, I will give it another chance to see if the expansions fix the experience, particularly the latest one, which I think was Immortality, which um, added some stuff to do with the uh, card system. Because the card system needs a serious fix. I mean, you have to house rule that you get to refresh the display every round or something. Otherwise, it's clogged up with crap cards all the time. I heard the, the expansion lets you do it once per game, which is garbage. No, once per round, please. But, I don't know. I mean, there wasn't exactly much in this category anyway. I mean, uh, I wonder if I can look this up. Uh, Golden Geek Award 2022 nominations expansion. All right, so what else was 
here we go. Nominees announced. So, um, right, okay, let's go through quickly. So, anyway, this is the... Yep, that's Golden Geek Awards, so let's have a look. So, Cooperative Games... No, sorry, no, Expansion, here we go. So, Everdell, New Leaf, Meadow Downstream on Mars Alien, Parks Wildlife, Red Cathedral Contractors, Roll Camera, does anybody play that game? Root Marauder, Star Wars Out... So, and Viticulture World, which, again, I've reviewed, and it's, like, not amazing. But you're telling... I mean, Meadow Downstream is a good expansion... But it does make the game longer. So I would be a little concerned. Most of these other expansions, what the hell. You're telling me that Star Wars Outer Rim, Unfinished Business, did not even get a runner-up place. I call foul on that. I call foul. You know, people are just hyped up about doing Imperiums. That's why there's two of them. And I find that having two expansions in the nominations is kind of cheating. But also, Wingspan Asia. You're telling me that Star Wars Outer Rim, the expansion that has brought the game back into the limelight for many people and fixed some critical issues with the base game, you know, a must-buy expansion, you're telling me that couldn't even get a runner-up slot against Wingspan Asia Cash Grab. I'm sorry, no. Wrong. That is complete... That is crap, frankly. No, I don't agree with that at all. All right, innovative game. Oh, this will be fun. Usually when an innovative award comes by, it's always something that's not innovative. But let's see. Let's prove me wrong. Innovative. Cat in the box. That's a trick-taking game. That's not that innovative. Uh, Turing machine and runner-up heat pedal to the metal. Right. Um, I think the definition of innovation has been stretched here a bit. I've got Cat in the Box downstairs. I've played it a few times, but it's likely to be a coal pile one because... I don't find it that good a game. It's it's okay, but the trick-taking part of it is fine. But guessing how many tricks you're going to win, I mean, that's, you know, push your luck, basically. And I don't like the area control thing. I think the area control thing on the board with the numbers is just such a weird system. It's fiddly. It's hard to sort of, like, gauge and visualize. It doesn't even equate to that many points most of the time. I don't think Cat in the Box is that. I think this is one of the weaker trick-taking games I've played. So what's innovative about it? What, the fact that your card has no color and you pick the color? That's the innovation? That uh, that feels like a cop-out, frankly. And then Turing Machine, I don't know. Not played it. But it just seems like another code-breaker game. We've seen that before. And Heat? Heat's a great game. What's innovative about Heat? We've seen that card system before. We've seen racing games before. Nothing in Heat is particularly innovative. So, I think we just had a lack of innovation in 2022, and frankly, the board gaming industry in general has got a bit of a lack of innovation going on, but yeah, this, nah, this is not a good category lineup. You know, the game's, heat's fine, Cat in the Box has its fans, but you tell me what's innovative about these titles, okay? Turing Machine, I'll give the benefit of the doubt because I've not played it, but Heat and Cat in the Box, what's innovative about these two? I don't get it. I know that we're devoid of any new knowledge when it comes to the board game design at the moment, but that's pretty shocking. Right. Light game of the year. Cat in the box again. Are you joking me? Splendid Jewel and Long Shot the Dice Game runners up. I'm sorry. No. I've told you my thoughts on Cat in the Box, that it's not that great a game. You're telling me that one over Splendid Jewel and Long Shot the Dice Game. Both of those other two are in my collection. Cat in the Box won't be in my collection much longer. Those other two are in my collection and they will stay. Splendor Jewel I gave a 9. Longshot I gave an 8. Those two are fantastic light games. They do the job. Longshot does a great group session in a relatively short time with a fun little betting racing game. Splendor Jewel, I've already said my thoughts on that. 
How did they lose to Cat in the Box Deluxe Edition? What is it you people are seeing in Cat in the Box that's so amazing? It's got a cute picture of a black cat on it. Whatever. The theme, they try to make it thematic with the whole Schrogenders thing. It doesn't come through at all. It's just a trick-taking game with an area control mechanic on top. And the area control mechanic isn't even that fun. How did that beat Splendor Jewel and Longshot the Dice game? Foul. Absolute foul. Medium game of the year. Heat. Heat really considered a medium game? That seems a little bit of a that seems a little bit of a stretch to call that a medium game. It's not a gateway game. There's too much going on in Heat that I don't want to bring it out in front of gateway gamers, but Heat's pretty light overall. Wonderland's War and Flamecraft get the runners up. Well, I'm certainly glad to see Heat beat out Wonderland's War. I mean, I would stretch to think that Wonderland's War is a medium game. Yeah, I suppose it's not a heavy game. It plays like a heavy game. It goes on for three hours plus, and it's ridiculously long, and should be at least half the length it is, especially for something that's basically just upgraded Quacks of Quedlinburg. But I suppose it does fit in medium game, although Heat? Heat's a great game, and I would happily see it win, but medium game? Nah, seems a bit of a stretch. I think that should have been in the light category, but, you know, people get the weights of games wrong all the time. But you know what? Out of that lineup, I'm, I'm glad to see it win. I mean, I'm not going to check all the other nominations because it will take too long, but I'm just going by what the top three are to see if I agree with the top three. You know, if, if a game that I think should have won was missed out, that's just how it is. Ah, take a drink. All right, okay. Carry on. Heavy game of the year. Oh, my God. Are you serious? Carnegie? Runner-up, Endless Winter, Palo Americans. Runner-up... John Company 2nd Edition? Who the hell's playing John Company 2nd Edition? Barely heard anybody even talk about this game. And you're telling me this was a runner-up? And everything about this game, from what I've heard from like Tom Vassell's rant on it, to the description of the game, I mean, taking on the roles of families attempting to use the British East India Company for... You know, the, the, the whole theme of this, state-sponsored trade monopoly, economic game, again, everything about this description is just putting me to sleep. The game looks bland. I mean, that's uh, actually, uh, no, that does look pretty bland. I mean, that just looks like every other economic euro, but there's a lot more in it than I thought there was. But who's talking about this game? I don't see everybody going on about this game. How on earth is this a runner-up? I don't get that one at all. Endless Winter... That's a good game. It's got flaws, some of which have been fixed by a couple of variants, uh, particularly one that uh, reduces how many workers you get in the early rounds. But yeah, Carnegie's okay at best. I found it above average at first. It's probably more average. The thing is with Carnegie is that Carnegie just feels like, again, every other bland Euro. It's another one with a map that you put cities on and you level up a track or two or five in this case. The only thing that's really different with this one, if you can call it different, is the fact that you've got you know, these, these actions that you take and you have the 20 actions and when you take an action, everybody else has to kind of follow with the action. The thing is, in a two-player game, this game works well. And maybe it's good solo, I don't know. But two-player works fine because you have more control over the choice of actions. You still only get 20. But with four players, this game is just a complete chaos luck fest because you've got four players doing choice of actions over 20 actions. So you only get to dictate five of the 20 actions in the game. The rest, you've just, just got to hope it all goes your way. And you can't predict what three other players are going to do. 
It's impossible. So you are just basically hoping that an action gets chosen that works for you. And you're just reacting to what's been given. Not something I want to see in a big, long, two and a half to three hour Euro game. That's fine. Tactical play is fine in a short game. Not in a game as long as Carnegie. And, I mean, do people just like the fact that it's got Eno Tools artwork, I think, on it? I think that's Eno Tools artwork. But, frankly, all you've got to do is draw a continent with five shaded colored areas. I mean, yeah, the graphic design is nice, but... How much do you really need to do with artwork when it's basically just putting a country with different colors on it? But the tracks aren't interesting. This whole objective thing you do at the top, you know, where you have to grab them before other players do, that can be a little bit mean because that can really screw you over if someone nicks it off you. Uh, I don't know. Carnegie's fine. I don't dislike it, but it's getting so much love and I don't see why. It's, it's fine. I won't request it. It's average for me. It's a 5 out of 10 at this point. It does the job just like any other Euro game out there. Nothing about it feels that different. Nothing about it feels thematic. There's no theme in this whatsoever. It's bone dry. The whole map thing is pointless. You know, you've got three spots on the board that you can get points if you do a long route. But all it takes is for one person to block your way and it completely cuts you off some areas in the map. I don't think this map makes any sense in this game. You know, if you did it just about your buildings and maybe some tile play and stuff like that and some tracks, fine. But I just think the map is a waste of space. You know, it's produced well, fine. It looks clean, but I'm, I'm not the biggest fan of it. So to see it win against Endless Winter is frankly shopping. And you know what? Let's have a look at the... Um, ooh, Blood on the Clock Tower was in the innovative category and it didn't even get a runner-up. Well, at least that's some justice. All right, let's have a look. Uh, heavy game of the year. So, Zeon Trespass. Never heard and don't know much about it. Dead Reckoning. Great Western Trail Argentina. Oh, that didn't even get a runner-up. Good. Marrakesh. Bleh. Revive. I'll let you know my thoughts on that when I do the review. Tautum. Bleh. Wayfarers. Wayfarers of the South Tigris didn't even get a runner-up. Are you kidding me? Endless Winter, I'm fine to see on there. But you're telling me John Company 2nd Edition got more votes than Wayfarers. I call bull on that. No way. Wayfarers of the South Tigris is easily the best heavy game of the year in that category. I love it. It's a fantastic game. You know, it's not flawless like any like decent game is, but I think it's a great, excellent game. Check out my review on that one to find out more. But yeah, how did that not get a runner-up place? Who votes on these? Is it literally just die-hard, super-heavy, like, 18xx-level gamers that vote on these? Because some of these games that I've picked, where did John Company squeeze past this? I do not get that at all. I've seen no one play it. I see no one talk about it. But anybody who does talk about it, in the rarity that it is, says it's amazing. But it's rare I hear anybody even mention the game. How the hell did it beat Wayfarers? More people have played Wayfarers. More people have enjoyed Wayfarers. Come on. That's rubbish. All right. All right, how many more have we got? Quite a few, I think. Party game. Ready, set, bet. Long shot the dice game. Blood on the clock tower. Well, I suppose Blood on the clock tower was going to get a runner-up somewhere. Even though I think it's garbage. Overrated. Horrible. Bad. Don't like it. But... Long shot the dice game, I think, should have won this. I've not played Ready, Set, Bet, but a, a real-time game? I'm not the biggest fan of real-time games, so I, I would like to try Ready, Set, Bet once, but I don't think this is going to be a game I would like, so eh, it's appealing to some people, but real-time games just don't tend to sit well with me. XCOM excluded, I guess, but I would have rather given this to Long shot the dice game. Print and Play, I'm not going to review this because I don't know these, 
Aquamarine won it, followed by Woodcraft Roll and Write. I mean, if, seriously, a Roll and Write spin-off of a game that's barely a year old. That's your, uh, if that's what you're going with, then you're in trouble. And a Wayfarer's Tale. I don't do print and play, so I can't really say much more. Solo game. If solo game doesn't include Frostpunk, then I hope your reason is only because it didn't fit the time boundary. Like maybe it was released too late or something. Because otherwise, I call foul. Turing Machine. Are you frigging kidding me? Resist Nemo's War the Ultimate Edition. So basically, a reprinted edition, which is cheating. Turing Machine, which I'm sure is pretty much the only way to play it is solo, because frankly there's no point playing it with multiplayer from what I've heard. Resist, I don't know anything about. But who was nominated in the solo category then? Alright, come on. Bring it on. Let's have a look. Solo. Xeon Trespass, Aleph Null, Aquamarine, Frostpunk. Frostpunk was in the nominations. As well as Vanguard, Paperback Adventures. I mean, granted, there's not a lot of good solo games here, but you're telling me Frostpunk didn't get in the the selection here. Maybe it was released too late and not enough people have played it, but I'm sorry. Frostpunk is one of the best solo games I have played in the last couple of years. It is a fantastic, thematic, story-driven, gritty game that is probably best played solo rather than multiplayer, so I can understand it not being in the cooperative category, but you're telling me Frostpunk could not beat Turing Machine Resist and an Ultimate Edition Nemo's War. I demand a recount. Is this actually done by people who vote on these things? Or is this just done by a committee? Because I don't get that. How does Nemo's War beat out Frostpunk? Nemo's War is okay, but it's a dice luck fest. Whatever. It's... And it's not even a valid choice. It's an Ultimate Edition. The game came out years ago. Oh my god. Oh my god, this is hurting, this is hurting my brain. You started off so well, Golden Gate. This is why I don't bother voting on your, like, awards or giving you that much cop or sharing, you know, or share your stuff out. Because if this is the example of what your awards are, then can you blame me? This is atrocious. Frostpunk, not in the running, given these three. Bad, foul, wrong, stupid. Thematic game... what? Was that in the Thematic game? You... You... You put Blood on the Clock Tower in Thematic game. Okay, whatever. It didn't get a runner-up. Fine. You put Frostpunk in the nominations for Thematic game. And you're telling me that Heat Pedal to the Metal is a more Thematic game. And Wonderland's War runner-up... And John Company 2nd Edition runner-up. Now, maybe John Company is thematic. I don't know. I don't care because the theme is boring. Wonderland's War. It's a push-your-luck game. I mean, it's got a fun setting, but I wouldn't call it the most thematic game in the world. You know, but it's it's fine. It could be a nomination. But no Frostpunk. There is no game on that entire list of nominations, bar maybe My Father's Work and ISS Vanguard, that is possibly more thematic than Frostpunk. Frostpunk has such a good theme with it. It's so well tied. Go check out my review for Frostpunk to find out more details. But And you can check out my review on Heat. I do praise Heat a lot. But Heat is not that thematic. It's a racing game. You race from start to finish and try to win. Your car might overheat. 
That's basically the thematic ties. I mean, it's a racing game. You'd have to struggle to not make it fit a racing theme. Are people actually voting on these categories based on the topic? Or are they just voting on their favourite game regardless of what the category is? That's what this feels like to me. To see Heat win a thematic game title. This is stupid. These awards have been bad in the past. But... Give me all the hate you want in the comments, I don't care. This is a garbage set of awards. You know, maybe I should do the Broken Meeple Awards and get people to vote on that, but then, you know, will that be any better? You know, this is horrible. Absolutely horrible. I mean, maybe I should do a, yeah, maybe I should do an awards list and just vote on it by myself. You know, that's, that would have as much standing as this does, by which I mean not a lot. But, oh my god. Heat, thematic game. And Frostpunk doesn't even get a non doesn't even get runner up. That is criminal, absolutely criminal. Maybe Frostpunk is too niche a game for people. Fine, but then I would struggle to think that Nemo's War and John Company don't fit that description as well. John Company Second Edition is as niche as you're gonna get. Oh my God, this is so bad, so bad. I'm I'm, I'm gonna cry in a minute. I'm really gonna cry because this is so heartbreaking. Alright, here we go. War game. I don't really care. I don't play war games. Undaunted Stalingrad followed by Resist and Votes for Women. This Votes for Women thing is getting a decent amount of love. Possibly because of the topic name, I can imagine. But uh, that is a god-awful cover. Rank 5000, so I'm surprised that even got nominated. But uh, card-driven game covering the American women's suffrage movement from X period. I don't know anything about. Culminating with the ratification of the 19th Amendment. My history sucks, particularly American history, so I don't actually know what this is going on about. But uh, competitive, cooperative, and solitaire play, which makes me think that you haven't designed each mode because you shouldn't have competitive and cooperative in the same system. Uh... It's a one to four player game, six turns, only an hour long. I mean, looks like, uh, looks like every time. I mean, is this, is this what you would consider a war game, though? This isn't the sort of thing I would classify as a war game. I mean, you're putting ticks and crosses on a map. You do voting cards. I mean, this looks like a mini Twilight Struggle. Would you call that a war game? Hard to say. I mean, maybe it is. I don't know. I think that definition is being stretched a little here, but... Maybe the game's good. I don't know. I've not seen a copy of it. I, it's not really something that I would grab and play. Uh, I don't care if he's done a thing of it. Uh, uh, well, Dice Tower have done a review of it, so maybe that's worth a watch at some point to find out more. But um, I don't know. I mean, people are even discussing on BGG. Is it a war game? I mean, that says it all, really. But maybe it's good. I don't know. I don't recognize the designer. I don't recognize the publisher. It's a new one on me. But, you know, it's in the runner-up. Undaunted, fine. I don't play these war games. It's not my style, so fine. Well, well done, Undaunted. Okay, doke. Uh, best podcast. I don't give a monkeys. I don't uh, care about the podcast category because block content creation should not be a competition. It should not be a case of oh, you can win some award by some whatever committee for best. I mean, what even constitutes best podcast? You listen to it. There's information. Great. And to be honest, I don't really listen to any podcast because most podcasts don't have the banter for me to sort of get invested in. I used to listen to the Dice Tower podcast with Tom and Eric, but that's now a thing of the past, so that's no good. But I don't know. Podcasts, I just don't have time to 
listen to and absorb. I prefer to listen to music when I'm in the car, not a podcast. And I don't listen to podcasts when I'm doing work or anything because it's too distracting. So I just don't get why it should even be its own category. And, you know, most, you know, I don't, some people I don't actively support because they've tried to blacklist me in the past. And, you know, there's other podcasts I've never even listened to. I just don't agree with it as a category, frankly. You know, turning content creation into a competition should not be a thing. All right, and finally, best board game app. Winner, Everdell. Hmm, runner-up, Hero Realms, and runner-up, Role Player. I've not tried the Role Player app, actually. I might have to give that one a look. Everdell app? Maybe it's good. I've not, I don't like the game enough to want to play the app, but maybe it's sorted. What was in the nomination for that one? Clever Forever, Grizzled, Hero Realms, Llama, Maglev Metro, Roleplayer, and Wings of Glory. Ugh, there wasn't really that much of, um, not much in the way of interesting apps there from what I can tell. Although, Hero Realms might be good, but I've already got Star Realms, I don't need both. I'd have to give the Roleplayer app a look and see if it's any good. Maybe have a look at the Everdell app as well. But I could probably see that if you made Everdell easy to use, very picturesque, put some nice music, little animations in, I could see the Everdell app being really good. So I can I can get behind that one. But I don't know much about them. So, yeah, pretty disappointing list of awards, frankly. As far as I'm concerned, you started off so well with Splendor Jewel, and I agreed with Flamecraft. And then you go with a cooperative game I've not played, then you do basically Dune Imperium Love. Then you put Cat in the Box as innovative and like game compared to some of these other ones. Again, I don't get it. Heat, fine. I'll let that win medium in the game of the year because it is a great game and I think that's probably a good category. Don't agree that this was a heavy game, especially as Wayfarers didn't even get runner-up position. Party game, I'll take it. I, you know, I would have rather seen Long Shot up there and Blood on the Clock Tower not mentioned at all. But you know what? I'm actually kind of pleased that Blood on the Clock Tower did not even get a runner-up in most of these categories because people were trying to put it as innovative. Are you kidding me? Uh, print and play solo game that was a complete farce. As is formatic game. I mean, seriously, do I need to do another formatic game top ten list to instruct you on how formatic games work? Uh, solo game. I mean, Turing Machine fits the bill, but compared to Frostpunk, are you kidding me? And the rest I'm just not that much of a fan of. So, yeah, well, that was a rant and a half, wasn't it, ladies and gentlemen? And I'm sure loads of people are going to disagree with some of my views on these, but... And some people might just enjoy the fact that I ranted like crazy. I mean, I tell it how it is. No sugar coating. If I don't like it, I'm going to say why. And you may agree or disagree with it, but at the end of the day, as long as you remember it's only a game, and we can all have different opinions, we'll all be the better for it. But uh, I know there's going to be some people out there who won't see it that way. But, yeah, that's just my thoughts. You know, do you think the Golden Geek Awards were justified with the games? Ignore. I don't care about print and play, and I don't care about podcast. And I'm not even that fussed about the app one, frankly. With the heavy, medium, and light, the thematic, the two-player, the you know, the, those games cooperative the artwork do you agree with those let me know your thoughts in the comments on whether you agree or disagree with some of those choices do you think Frostpunk and wayfarers was robbed because i sure as hell do do you think that the uh committee for the voters of the golden geek awards don't know the concept of what a thematic game is you know is that a thing <laughs> you know by all means get your thoughts down below but i'm gonna wrap this up now because my fruit is dying and this is already an hour and 10 minutes long so 
you know, by all means, check out reviews that I've done on the channel for the games I've mentioned. I've done Wayfarers, I've done Frostpunk, uh, what else have I done? I've done Heat, so Balmy and Splendor Jewel. So check out my reviews on the channel for those games, that'd be appreciated. And of course, don't forget to thumb, uh, thumb up this video and hopefully subscribe and get this to 20,000 subscribers. If you like hearing rants from somebody who tells it how it is, with no sugar coating and no bias to publishers and that, then by all means, Get me up to 20,000 subscribers. I'll love you the more for it. Until next time, though, remember, regardless of how much you want to destroy your throat ranting about awards, which frankly don't mean that much anyway, at the end of the day, let's all keep calm, let's all relax, and remember, it's only a game. Bye for now, everyone. Take care.